0: This episode of YXE Underground is sponsored by Citizen Cafe and Bakery here in Saskatoon. If you are looking for a fantastic lunch and some of the best desserts in the city, be sure to check out Citizen Cafe and Bakery in downtown Saskatoon.
1: Everything has a story. As I'm looking out in the valley, I'm seeing uh, wolf willow, which can be used in a lot of different ways. And you wouldn't know that unless you actually talked with your elders and learned from these things hands on. So. For me here at Wanuskewin and as an archaeologist, like, I've really gotten a chance to reconnect to those hidden stories, I like to call them, because they're hidden in the dirt.
0: Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. The voice you just heard belongs to Honey Constant. Honey, along with Tara Jansen, are the featured guests in Episode 1, Season 3 of YXE Underground. 6,000 years ago, Indigenous peoples from across the Northern Plains gathered here at Wanuskewin. They came together to hunt bison, to escape the frigid winter winds, and to gather food and herbs in the summertime. Today, Wanuskewin Heritage Park has become a beacon of Indigenous culture, history and stories. Tara Jansen and Honey Constant work at Wanuskewin and this place holds a special place in their hearts. The relationship with the park and the role it can play in truth and reconciliation here in Saskatoon and the province are just two of the themes we'll explore in this episode of YXC Underground. All right, give him a round of applause for song number one.
2: Good job, TJ, we're gonna give him a little chance to catch his breath with some water here, he needs a drink of water. So um, welcome again, everybody, back to One to Scale. I know some of you guys joined in a little bit later. I just want to ask, I know there's some people here from different parts of Saskatchewan, different parts of the country. Hands up if you're from
0: Regina. Raise your hand. Boo. <laughs> there are some there so it's us- a Saturday afternoon here at Wanuskewin Heritage Park. It is uh, bright and sunny. It's actually quite hot. Um, it's like 27 degrees. It's a beautiful day, and uh, I'm I'm sitting just kind of in the front entranceway here. I can see people coming back from the uh, the Bison Lookout here at Wanuskewin, and uh, it's it's a really special day because the park is reopening. So Wanuskewin has been closed since the pandemic arrived in Saskatoon, but that doesn't mean that the the work has stopped here at the park. A $40 million renovation and expansion has been taking place for the past several months, and it's near completion. I'm just looking out at the park right now, and and there's so many just really awesome additions to the park. It's quite something to see. Someone who shares my excitement would be Andrew McDonald. And Andrew is the Director of Marketing and Communications of Wanuskewin and was the first to greet me when I came here a few weeks ago to record the podcast. What's really special about this
2: place is that there's so many different parts to it. So under the Wanuskewin umbrella there is all elements of culture so food and uh, uh, dance and uh, uh, you know visual arts as well as well as science. This is the site of Canada's longest-running archaeological dig is out here at the park. There is also Um, the the business of uh, preserving the grasslands out here. Uh, Grasslands are one of the most endangered uh, ecosystems in the world and so um, that is all a part of this Wanuskewin story. There's there's the arts side of this, there's the science side of this and of course the culture and history side of this
0: as well. Wanuskewa means so many things to so many different people, but what I really admire about the organization is its focus on education, and I think that can go a long way when it comes to achieving the goals of truth and reconciliation here in our community. That was one of the first topics I was lucky enough to touch on with Tara and Honey in the first part of our conversation. I say lucky because Tara and Honey are two of the warmest and kindest people you will meet, and the way they can articulate what Wanuskewa means to them There are a few times in this conversation where I I simply got goosebumps from their answers. Honey is the Senior Interpretive Guide at Wanuskewin and is also doing her Masters of Archaeology at the park. Tara is the Director of Development at Wanuskewin. We met in one of the newly constructed rooms at the park called the Story Circle. It's a space that was requested by Indigenous elders so that they could sit around a fire and tell stories. It's a really beautiful room with stunning views of the park, and it's where I was able to ask Tara and Honey some questions. I started by asking Tara what it means for her to work here at Wanuskewin.
2: Wanuskewin is such a special place uh, and I think it's rare that we get opportunities in our lives for things that we maybe have some talent for um, and things that we're passionate about can intersect and, and overlap uh, and Wanuskewin is just such a special place. Uh, I think. Uh, for everyone um, particularly for indigenous peoples of this territory so doing anything that we can um, to elevate the stories of Wanuskewin to protect this site and share it with the world is really special.
0: Uh, We'll get to the sharing in the world or with the world in in a bit because I do want to ask that but uh, honey what, what does it mean for you to be to be here?
1: It means a lot, actually. It's I love getting this question because I could talk for hours about this one. Um, but as a Plains Cree woman, as an indigenous woman who's also got her Bachelor of Science in Archaeology, I'm doing my Master's in Archaeology now, it means so much because as I was kind of reconnecting to my culture, reclaiming who I was past you know, residential school trauma and all these wonderful things that have made us who we are today as resilient people. But um, during my journey uh, from that little moment from grade one to now, I believe everything happens for a reason. And uh, as I was writing my first chapter for my thesis, uh, I found an article written by Dr. Walker and the elder Louise Half about how oral stories kind of helps tell the stories of archeological history. And Ernie was saying in the article that Wanuskewin is important for Indigenous stu- kids and students because we're reconnecting, we're relearning, um, and it, it's going to have an impact on who they, how they see themselves, I guess, in a way. And I thought that was amazing because here I am as an Indigenous student working at Wanuskewin doing that exact same thing in my tours and my writing. So it was kind of like a weird moment where I connected to Walker from the 90s. Wow. So. Yeah, it means a lot.
0: <laughs> so when because I, I wanted to ask you about the tours. So when when a when a, a group of students come here, um, what what's what's going through your mind as as they're about to either spend like a morning or afternoon or perhaps a whole day with you? What what are you thinking of?
1: Um, I think the first thing I'm thinking of is, am I ready? <laughs> Getting my coffee because um, when kids come here, they're they're so energetic, and I'm. I usually like to tell the summer students when they get here is every day is field trip day and uh, you got to bring that hype and that excitement and you just want to make sure that their day is as fun as possible um, I like to acknowledge that I'm very cringy <laughs> so sometimes
0: what, what do you mean cringy
1: yeah so sometimes when I'm doing my programs like a TP raising you ask a lot of questions like what makes you happy or all these different things because you're connecting it to the values and kind of storytelling. And sometimes eyes glaze and they don't care, but if you talk their language, so this one time I was talking about Fortnite with grade five boys, um, they immediately perked up and they were excited. So this year I was so excited to show off my renegade skills, my TikTok dances. <laughs> and then um (laughs) and then the pandemic i I wish i really wish um the pandemic has lost my skills i'm just like i don't know (laughs) so when i'm cringy you gotta lean into like what makes the kids laugh because at the end of the day you can't take yourself too seriously
0: (laughs) but that's that's a good point because i imagine both of you um must be so adept at, at communicating the, the stories here. But there's so many different audiences that are coming here. Um, how, how challenging is that?
1: It's, 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 it depends. Like we both see very, very different demographics. Like when I see Tara talking with um, anyone else that's not a child or like a guest I suppose um, I'm just in awe in the way that she tells the story. And then with me, with the children, I kind of just try to tell them in the most imagery way as possible, hands-on way as possible so the way that we kind of tell the story of Wanuskewin varies differently especially from people that have been here for a short period of time to a long period of time depends on who they talk to yeah
2: and I would say Wanuskewin tells its own stories so uh, you know we're we're here we we do our best Um, we share what we can Uh, but Wanuskewin has its own spirit and its own way of of elevating what it believes is the story that should be told um so I think uh like Honey said, um, we, we, we share information as best as, as we can, but um, the magic kind of speaks for itself. We don't really have, I don't have much to do with it, I don't think. <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm sure you have a little bit to do with the Tara, but um, so, the, uh, you know, we're, we're talking a little bit about um, education, and, and one of the things I was curious to talk with you both about was, um, sort of the role that you see waski when um, playing um, when it comes to truth and reconciliation especially in our community and I, i've i've had the privilege of, of speaking with with some elders in our community who it's it, it's really driven home to me just how just how important this is and how much work needs to be done within saskatoon um, and then I, you know just driving out here this morning and you know just outside of the city is this incredible place that has has, has so much history. Um, so th- this is a really big question, and both of you can take it wherever you want to go, but like, where? how do you see Wanuskeman playing a role when it comes to truth and reconciliation?
1: So this is another answer that I can give for like two days straight. Um, so a lot of the work that I do is surrounding truth and reconciliation, and of so surrounding a lot of that oral history, preservation, and all these wonderful things. Um, So, when I think about Wanuskewin contributing to Truth and Reconciliation, um, words from Ernie keep ringing in my head. We've been doing it since the early 80s. Um, We've been doing it since the inception of what Wanuskewin could be. And I'll maybe ask Tara to tell that story uh, later on. But um, as an Indigenous academic, um, archaeology does have a lot to do with reclaiming that story and reclaiming who we are as, a pers- as peoples, I guess. Um,
0: how, how does it do that?
1: So for me personally, when I was relearning a little bit about who I was before, um, Indigenous, uh, I guess we can say, loss of identity and culture um, from a lot of different factors. Um, we usually lost a lot of stories. We've lost a lot of that... Um, physical knowledge, I guess you can say. So like how people do things, or the different ways we can use stinging nettle in foods and as bows and wonder, all these things. Like everything has a story. As I'm looking out in the valley, I'm seeing uh, wolf willow, which can be used in a lot of different ways. And you wouldn't know that unless you actually talked with your elders and learned from these things hands on. So for me here at Wanuskewin and as an archeologist, like I've really gotten a chance to reconnect to those hidden stories, I like to call them, because they're hidden in the dirt. And as an archeologist, some people say like, oh, you're just kind of digging everything up. But we don't fully dig up a site. We never fully destroy anything. And we acknowledge that as we're digging, we're destroying. So that's why we take um, three different drawings, we take three different measurements, we take pictures and we take so much notes so that way in the future if you wanted to see what I what I dug up and how I dug it up, you can actually go layer by layer in five centimetre Um in that way so you know exactly what I did and how I did it and what I encountered along the way. So that way I'm actually preserving as I'm going. But um, when I talk about re- truth reconciliation, there's a lot of different things that we can do. Um, and even with, uh, the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Woman and Two-Spirited report that came out, um, there's a lot of wonderful calls to actions and calls to justice that we can all actually incorporate, and one of them is giving Indigenous peoples their own voice back, and that's kind of an important part that we play.
0: I'd love to just explore that a little bit more. So, with with your archaeology and, and your digging up history, you're you're tangibly holding the history. How how is that giving? How is that getting your voice back? And then not only giving your voice back, but then being able to share it within the community.
1: It's it's kind of hard to explain because um, I got to acknowledge in the way that it's not my voice, and especially here at Wanuskewin, there are seven different in, different uh, Indigenous cultures that are present here, and I'm only one of them. Um, but something that, that I can think of right off the bat is, um, something called an aniscum, And it's a little bison figurine that was, uh, carried usually by a Blackfoot person, and more specifically a Blackfoot medicine man or shaman. And um, we found that here at Waniskewin. And what was crazy is, um, when you unveil even like the smallest little things to the biggest things ever, you just kinda have this weird sense of connection to the past, and It's kind of like finding old spirits in the ground, I guess. So it's it's kind of hard. It's it's very much spiritual, and unless you you follow those spiritual teachings um, of just knowing that everything has a spirit, everything is connected, everything um, everything happens for a reason. That's the best way I can I can say it.
0: Finding old spirits in the like I that just there was a chill that just came over though like that's that must feel so powerful.
1: Yeah, when um, I remember the first time I ever was doing my excavation, which was actually here at Wanuskewin, Um I was 19, 18, a child. <laughs> um, I was in my undergrad, and you know, at the beginning, when you're trying to get through the sod and get starting, um, that's kind of like the hard part, you kind of miss that whole connection. But now that I'm getting older and kind of connecting more to my spirituality and knowing those stories and kind of appreciating it more, it's way more powerful. So the more that I share that story, the more that we share those perspectives, the more I think us as young archaeologists that are indigenous archaeologists and non-indigenous archaeologists can appreciate these things. Um, And an argument is usually like, oh, sites are dead. But sites are never dead because those spirits are still there.
0: Tara, I, I, I'd like to ask you about how you see truth and reconciliation, um, and how the role that Juanita can can play in it. How how do you how do you see this place um, playing a role, especially within our community?
2: Where do you start? Um, Honey's mentioned Dr. Ernie Walker a couple of times, and uh, Dr. Walker. Uh, actually worked here as a helping the the rancher who who stewarded this property in the early 1970s. And it was from his observation and um, his personal connections that sort of launched the process of establishing Wanuskewin as a heritage park. So he had reached into his personal networks um, and in partnership uh, largely with uh, the late Senator Hilliard McNabb, uh, they came up with the idea that Uh, Wanuskewa needed to be developed in order to be saved, Um, but it had to be done in a good way, it had to be done the right way. So they started the process of ceremonies uh, and Dr. Walker actually uh, pledged at Sundance and followed ceremonial protocol and uh, invited indigenous nations in to be able to make the decisions around the establishment of the park. Uh, so he shares a story that in 1984, there was a sweat lodge ceremony in Opimahal Valley, which we're looking at right now, and a decision was going to be made. Um, would the elders and subsequently the nation support the development of Um And the way Ernie tells the story is that, uh, you know, that the final answer was yes. Um, and an elder by the name of Lawrence Tobacco said... Um, you know, we're going to be in on this. Uh, And the reason is for education. We believe that this will be good for First Nations kids, particularly those living outside of communities, to be able to uh, reconnect with their culture, their language, their ceremonies. Uh, But we think it's good for non-First Nations kids too. Maybe they'll learn something about treaties and obligations. Uh, And that was the intent. Um, So right from 1984, The intent was this is a place for Indigenous and non-Indigenous people to come together, to share, to learn, to connect uh, to the land and to each other. Uh, Now for me personally, I was born fairly close to here uh, in Treaty 6 territory in Rosalind, but to a culturally mixed family. So my parents have roots in India and in settler Saskatchewan. And I was raised with the lie that uh, there's no history here. Uh, You know, all of these other cultures around the world have this rich history. Canada's so young, you know, we've heard all of these narratives. Um, And it was only with reconnecting to Wanuskewin and and getting a deeper understanding of this place that there is history here, it's rich, it's vibrant, it's, as Honey has said, it's alive, um, it's present. um, And it predates the pyramids by 2,000 years. We, which has nothing to do with the archeological <laughs> record, I will preface that, but it's such a, I, I love the analogy because it places us in a timeline of human history in a way that we all understand. Um, so, you know, people have been here since time immemorial. Uh, humans have been thriving in this land since time immemorial. To be just one little part of that history, I think is so beautiful. Uh, and I think that Wanuskewin plays a role in that, in, in reconciliation, not with e- just with each other, but also with the land, uh, and now with the reintroduction of the bison with with the animals, um, and restoring that kinship relationship um, between human land and bison that has been interrupted as a result of um, colonization.
0: listening to episode one of season three of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. We are speaking with Tara Jansen and Honey Constant here at Wanaskawin Heritage Park. You can subscribe to YXE Underground on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. You can stream the episode on Spotify or the website yxeunderground.com. And if you like what you hear, feel free to leave a review. Be sure to follow YXE Underground on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and that's where you'll see some beautiful pictures from this episode taken by my friend Rana Andres. A big thank you to Citizen Cafe and Bakery here in Saskatoon for sponsoring this episode. I'm going to talk later on in the episode about how much I love their sandwiches and desserts. Uh, But for right now, thank you to Citizen for your support of this local independent podcast. Wanuskewin partnered with Parks Canada to welcome six female calves from Grasslands National Park on a frigid December morning, and shortly thereafter, five more bison arrived at Wanuskewin from the United States. Today, there are 15 bisons grazing the grasslands here at Wanuskewin. I was so excited to see these bison. I've never seen a bison before. I was curious to, to know more about their role in terms of grassland conversation, but I discovered, thanks to Tara and Honey, that there is a deeper cultural and spiritual meaning that the bison signify. Tara and Honey, along with Andrew McDonald, were kind enough to take me out to see the bison and it was amazing. So I would like to take you out there right now to meet these bison, and then we'll return to the Story Circle Room to continue our conversation with Honey and Tara.
1: So we are outside of the bison's paddock, uh, outside of the big fence (laughs) on the safe side uh we are overlooking kind of the powwow grounds the largest bison jump which is the apemaho bison jump uh we are waiting for the bison to come towards us so bison or bust
0: honey how many am i looking at right now
1: um i'm not sure how much you see uh <laughs> but there should be 15.
0: i am short thank you for no <laughs>
1: um there should be 15 in our general direction I know I see one trying to hide behind uh, a little bit of tall grass, so they are quite excellent hiders sometimes. Really?
0: Yeah. For how big they are?
1: Yeah. Um, I remember when the first yearlings came out here, you could barely see them because they were always hiding behind a giant dirt pile. So they have such an interesting personality.
2: I think Honey mentioned it earlier that, you know, Uh, we wouldn't be here without 6,000 years of human stories and we wouldn't be here without 6,000 future years of human stories. So um, the bison in some ways remind us that we're just one small element in this whole bigger picture. Uh, And as the elders have always said, Wanuskewin is bigger than all of us. So it's wonderful to be supported. It's wonderful to be able to just have one tiny part of such a significant project that um, will have a lasting impact for all of us.
1: But Before COVID we actually created a brand new program um, and it's called we'll Go To Wogotwin some Kinship and it's actually a two-hour specialty program for uh, students uh, aimed at grade four and up and um, we were so excited to bring this because uh, Katie Willey, another senior archaeological guide uh, and grad student uh, underneath Ernie Walker, um, her and I kind of developed it together and It talks about the story of bison as a keystone species. It talks about how they're so important to restoring grasslands and uh, all these wonderful things, I guess you can say. But uh, then the second half is kind of more of the cultural side, talking about the kinship, talking about how um, they're more than just Walmart, I guess. How they affect all parts of us and how they teach us things. Um, And as COVID kind of hit, We couldn't actually deliver it to anyone, which is kind of sad, but as soon as we reopen, um, I'm so excited to start delivering it and talk about it. So there's just so much to talk about when it comes to the bison. I think one of the things that surprised me the most, if I'm honest, um, is how close I felt to them, I guess. So again, it's kinship, and that's why I named it Wogotuin, because again, it's the kinship that's spiritual. uh, Everyone is related. They're my my cousins. so as I was kind of preparing it, uh, the more that you repeat it, the more you say it, the more it feels comfortable. And it's kind of part of my, my journey to reconnecting and all these uh, my journey has led me to. Um, when I think about delivering this program, I want it to be as authentic as possible. So the biggest part of my research and my journey was being comfortable with that, that knowledge or that story of they're my
2: family.
0: Tara, you mentioned too, the like the, the four pillars and and one of them was UNESCO um, and and i'm I'm very curious about that. Um, I was wondering if you could ex- explain a little bit about what UNESCO is and then why why it's so important that that this place be be a heritage site
2: yeah, absolutely so. Uh, UNESCO is the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization uh, and they, um, soon after World War II, they established uh, what's known as the World Heritage List, uh, which protects and conserves uh, sites of outstanding universal value to all of humanity. So what are those really special places in the world, either natural or cultural, um, that are worth protecting and conserving uh, into perpetuity? Uh, so that, as I said, that was one of the lo- sort of lofty visions of the campaign. Um, and what has eventually happened is that, uh, I'm now, uh, a graduate student like Honey with, uh, Dr. Ernie Walker, um, and establishing that justification of outstanding universal value as a World Heritage site is the topic of my master's thesis. So, um, this is also like the penultimate way of, of fundraising because students are cheap and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's an easy way to to do some extra labor and win-win all the way around so uh, I mean um, I think we're all we're all benefiting from this uh, this method of of study so uh, it's kind of delightful but um, one of the things uh, we had to do so in, in 2013 there was no process um, due to the last 10, there's sort of a tentative list process. So every country puts forward a short list of sites that they feel are are valid for World Heritage uh, review. Um, And the last list had come out in 2004. So normally they come out in every 10 years, but at this point, there was just no process in sight. Um, And in typical fashion with Wanuskewin, we decided to proceed anyway. uh, We went to the World Heritage Convention, uh, we looked up the documentation as to what would be needed to do this. Um, We met with folks from the Canadian Commission to UNESCO and Parks Canada. Um, And the result of that is that when the process did open in 2016, we were ready to submit an application. Um, So we'd done all of our work uh, and we uh, were able to put together um, an application to be one of Canada's um, prospective sites. Now, the trick with this application is that we had to define how Wanuskewin was of outstanding universal value to all of humanity, and there was no other site like ours anywhere in the world in a text box of 200 words.
0: You had, you, <laughs> you only had 200 words? Do you remember those 200 words? What you? What
2: you, I, you, you would think that I would. Uh, <laughs> It, it was a lot of uh it was a lot of uh fine writing but um you know in in hindsight i wish every application process was like that because if you can't say um why you're a value in 200 words then maybe you haven't defined your story well enough um and ultimately what want story is story uh, is one of diversity so within opimahal valley there are 19 pre-contact archaeological sites That includes two bison jumps, teepee rings, habitation sites, and the northernmost medicine wheel in the Great Plains region. So there's no other place in the world that we know of that has that diversity of heritage resources and the examples of nearly every type of heritage resource uh, that one would expect to find in the Great Plains region. Um, And there's no other site anywhere in the world that every single cultural group was present at some point in time. So, as Honey mentioned, uh, we know of at least um, seven contemporary cultural groups which are tied to um, pre-contact groups which stretch back into, you know, since time immemorial. So, uh, when we look at other sites, there's a, a bison jump site in southern Alberta known as Head Smashed In, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Um, we often use that as a comparison. It's the most spectacular bison jump in the world. Uh, it was only used by the Blackfoot peoples. So when we're comparing um, our uniqueness, we're able to say that Wanuskewin has bison gems, but it also has all of these other heritage resources. And yes, Blackfoot peoples were here, but so was everyone else. Um, and ultimately it's layering that story of, of kinship with the bison uh, with the tangible evidence of the archeological record.
0: Um, so you, you, you do this, you know, 200 word elevator pitch. Um, where, where are you? Where are you at now in in terms of getting this
2: Yeah, so we were placed on Canada's tentative list for World Heritage Sites in 2017, (laughs) December 20th, which was just, uh, you know, such a huge milestone. Um, Saskatchewan doesn't have any World Heritage Sites. Uh, Canada has 20 altogether, Uh, and there are are very few sites that um, are able to look at the cultural dynamics. When we think of World Heritage Sites, we think of places like the Taj Mahal, the Great Barrier Reef, the Banff Jasper Parkway—you uh, know these really um, built-up sites that either have a spectacular natural environment or um, really tangible physical physical evidence. Uh, and when we look at Wanuskewin, we have to think more about the intangible heritage. Um, what are the stories that are here? What are the spirits that um, are being uncovered?
0: Um, what what will it mean then? Um, I, I, I guess first of all, when, when will you know if, if you get that official stamp of, of approval, and, and when you get it, because you will. Um, what what will it what will that do to Juanus Kevin?
2: Yeah, so World Heritage designation is a long and arduous process, uh, and the trick is that we have to capture 6,000 years of human stories and mold it into an international Eurocentric bureaucracy. So that's ultimately my job, which is um, actually kind of great. Um, that's I, I wouldn't feel comfortable, uh, you know, only telling stories, but to be able to to work with the the people who are here and and make sure that the stories that they want to hold are elevated in that sort of 200 word box yes. uh, is really is really interesting. Um, we're hoping for designation 2024, 20, 2025. We're uncertain of how COVID-19 has affected the process internationally. Um, but as soon as we submit our application, there's an 18 month evaluation process where uh, you know evaluators from somewhere around the world will come come to town. Um, they'll look at the site, they'll maybe stop you on the street and ask you why you think is important, um, and ideally, you'll be able to tell them that, um, you know, this is something that predates and transcends all of us, uh, and it's worth protecting.
0: Um, do, do you get excited or nervous thinking about when when those people come <laughs> to, to to see the site and you're smiling nervously.
2: Uh, I'm smiling nervously. You know there are milestones that we have to reach before we get there. Okay. So, um I think the benefit that I have is that I'm I'm just looking at the next deadline instead of like worrying about whether how we'll be judged because uh you know, uh, at that sweat lodge ceremony that I mentioned earlier in 1984, the elders reassured us that, you know, you don't have to worry about this. Um, Wanuskewin is bigger than all of us, and this was meant to happen. So it's out of our control anyway. We'll just do our best. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's really nice. Um, you, you both have been really considerate with your time. Um, before I let you go, um, I'm, I'm curious. that The park is set to reopen on the 5th of September. Um, these last few months have been just, yeah, just weird and different in, in so many different ways. W- what is it gonna mean to both of you to, to know that the doors are open and, and people can come here again?
1: Um, for for me, it means it's, it's hard to say. Like, I'm super excited, super nervous, because then uh, everything kind of looks a little different. Usually, my typical summer looks like 9 till 5, or 8.30 to 5, uh, nonstop tours and talking and being energetic and talking to people and telling stories and hearing their stories and um, just just being with people. But uh, a big part of my job is talking, Um, which with COVID-19, I'll have to wear a mask or people will have to wear a mask. So uh, lucky for me, I can talk very loudly. Um, My mom likes to laugh. She's like, I have no volume control, which comes in handy for this. Um, But I'm just super excited because part of my job is just interacting with people and telling stories. So I'm super excited for people to come back and I can do that, Um, it'd just be a little different.
0: My thanks to Honey Constant and Tara Jansen for agreeing to be on the podcast and for being so wonderful to speak with. If you want to learn more about Wanuskewin, a great place to start is their website, wanuskewin.com. This has been episode one of season three of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. I host, produce, and edit this local independent podcast. You can subscribe for free to YXE Underground on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Stream episodes on Spotify or at the website yxunderground.com. And don't forget to leave a review of the podcast if you like what you just heard. You can also follow YXE Underground on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And a big thank you to Rana Andres for taking such wonderful photos for this episode. Thank you to the good folks at Danger Dynamite here in Saskatoon for maintaining the website and a big thanks to Brittany and the crew at Citizen Cafe and Bakery for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. When I moved back to Saskatoon about six years ago, um, I asked uh, one of my uh, former CBC colleagues where is the best lunch in Saskatoon and he recommended Citizen Cafe and he was so right. If it were up to me, I would eat their Douglas sandwich each and every day. Um, Citizen Cafe, the, just wonderful food and uh, they're doing some really, really great things in in terms of uh, dining in, taking out, and some really neat ideas around uh, subscribing to different meal plans, kind of. So if you head to their website or follow them on Instagram or Facebook, just look up Citizen Cafe and Bakery. You can see all the different options. Uh, It's one of my favorite places to go for lunch, and it's uh, just a really wonderful spot in the city. So uh, to Brittany and the Citizen Cafe and Bakery crew, Thank you for sponsoring this episode. And a special thank you to Andrew McDonald here at Wanuskawen for giving Rana and I access to the park before it opened to the public and for just making everything run so smooth. So, Andrew, thank you very much. Before I go, I would like to acknowledge that these interviews were gathered on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. YXE Underground is a production of the Tamer Production Company. My name is Eric Anderson. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon.